0: Developing small satellites, small propulsion system entails a cost, let's say a capital expenditure, which is significantly lower than developing large propulsion systems, because you know when you develop a electric propulsion system, you need to test it, and usually the way which we tested it is putting them in vacuum. So you need to have a vacuum chamber that is creating the vacuum condition as close as possible to to space. So of course. The chamber size goes with the thruster size. Testing a big thruster takes a, a huge chamber, which costs a lot. And of course, uh, small companies could not necessarily uh, let's say, afford to, to have that. So these new companies are exploring different kind of, different of technologies. So let's say the, the consolidated market is now focusing on two major technologies, the whole effect thrusters and the ion thrusters.
1: We are back. With another episode of the Cold Star Project, I'm Jason Gannigan, the host and the founder of Cold Star Technologies. Today, I'm really excited to have on Ricardo Albertoni, who has a doctorate in space engineering. He is really into propulsion, uh, electric propulsion. We're going to dig into that. And uh, I wanted him on because he works with Airbus and uh, is really getting into this propulsion system for the OneWeb constellation. So thanks for being here.
0: Uh, Thank you for for having me this evening.
1: You bet. So, yes, you're speaking to us from France. So, Ricardo, I saw that you recently got your uh, PMP, Project Management Certification, um, and and I'm curious, what have you learned because of that that you sort of wish you knew years ago regarding managing space projects?
0: Well, I think PMP has been very, very useful in a sense that... Can, it provides you with a very, let's say, good overview of all the topics that you are usually expected to, uh, to work with as a project manager. So I'm talking about, let's say, eliciting requirements from the shareholders at the beginning, managing the shareholders, mm. uh, procurement management, risk management, all these kind of things. And it's very useful to, to create a common vocabulary between project managers or even in the framework or a team member of the program. Um, on the other side, you know, when you work with uh, in a big projects, you usually, I mean, the project manager usually is very supported by you have uh, cost controllers, you have schedulers, you have people that are acting on many of the specific you have procurement managers mm-hmm. so I think at the end of the day the, the most important thing for a project manager especially when you are dealing with complex pro- program with a pretty big is really focusing on the risk so mm-hmm. the risk of the programs and focusing on the team management communication is very 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 key and uh, and again I think the let's say the PMP gave me this overview of all potential topics and uh, give me also the, the metrics to, to discuss with other, uh, with other project managers and, and management of the company. But at the end of the day, I think at the end is, the PMP is, is, is basically a test. So you, you study, you have your good overview, but you need to have handout experience. And the more uh, complex the program is, the more, the, the biggest is the number of your interfaces on in, the, in the project, the more uh, the hand on experience of the rules uh, over, over certifications.
1: Okay, so hands on experience, very important.
0: Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, on the other side is true that, for example, it depends on the maturity of the, of the company in terms of, of project management. I mean, there are small companies in which the project manager is basically will do everything in, uh, by himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and companies in which, I mean, you have big support, and so the level of involvement of the, re- of the project management and the, the way in which you use all the information you get from a PAP can be pretty different according to the company and the projects you're working
1: Okay, good stuff. So a lot of people listening are founders of space companies. They're looking for funding and you have experience as an independent expert evaluator for the European Commission, um, looking at projects about future and emerging technologies. So I'm curious, from that experience, you did that for a couple of years, what was the biggest mistake or glaring omission that you saw in these research proposals that were submitted? I mean, what, what could folks do better to increase their chances of winning an
0: award? Hmm. Yeah, let's say, Usually, the proposals that uh, we receive in the framework of this, uh, you know, these bids are pretty good because, um, because the people knows around that it's not so easy to get, get funded from the European Commission. Hmm. On the other side, I think that, especially in the in the field of the future and emerging technologies, um, what sometimes I miss is the, uh, or, or is not completely developed the way I, sometimes would prefer to be is this idea of um, the added value to the community in the long term for example uh, usually these proposals are dealing really with the focusing on the technical implementation of the idea say okay let's see Uh, this never nobody has done this before so this is very innovative Uh, this is the real uh, added value but sometimes they dwell too much in the detailed description of the underlying physics, these kind of things, hmm. and they probably miss to describe the added value to the community. It's not necessarily the community, let's say, in your field of experience, but can be the community in a larger sense. Mm-hmm. And to provide some, especially to some reviewer like myself coming from, from the industry, this long term view of the potential evolution and Adoption of the of the concept. I mean, we're not necessarily looking at a return on investment in the short term or you know break even in one year or two because this is not the topic of uh, future emerging technologies. But still, uh, I think it's it is very giving very a lot of points to to to, to proposals that can put together. The technical aspects of innovation together with the view of the potential evolution of the addition market, potential implementation of the idea. And they also have a view of how the things will be move, will move in the future around their own idea. And I think this is our recommendation I would like to, to give to all the people, I mean, hmm. currently or in the future working on on this kind of proposal is not to let's say focus or not. To leave this kind aside, of because they are pretty much important for for especially for for the industry.
1: Okay. So unlike a PhD or master's thesis, you're not just adding to the sum total of human knowledge, but uh, write down you know where this baby can go. It's going to grow exactly. up, and, and what's it going to do when it grows up? Maybe some ideas about that. Okay. Well, let's get into the the electric propulsion systems for uh, small satellites if you could begin by explaining the concept so that we are all on the same page that would be a great place to start
0: yeah of course so well you know electric propulsion is a kind of uh, alternative uh, to the in space propulsion so when we are talking about electric propulsion we are talking about something which is already in space so it's a satellite mainly or a probe but is not is not a launcher mm. okay so the idea is that um, uh, the reason for this is that electric propulsion is another way of giving thrust, so giving uh, to push satellites, for example, but continuously. While, for example, on chemical, with chemical thruster, which is the more conventional way of propelling satellites, with launchers, what you do, basically, you, you give a lot of thrust all of a sudden and then most of the time you leave your your satellite to coast up to the final destination so you have a lot of energy which is given mm. right away to the satellite and then you leave it uh, along the orbit electric propulsion is the other way around they mm. they do not provide a lot of trust but what they do is that they they provide trust all all the time through till the final destination so it means that over time you are gently pushing your satellites all the time through, and at the time you reach your destination, you are probably much faster than with the chemical one because mm. you are keeping pushing. You know, in space you don't have, uh, uh. yeah, you don't have uh, frictions, you don't mm. have uh, forces other than the gravitational forces. Right. So basically, you can accumulate this this acceleration up to speeds that are dramatically high. And the way in which you do this is basically you take a certain propellant, which is usually stored. Conventional electric propulsion system is is uh, is uh, is a gas, is a noble gas like xenon, mm-hmm. krypton, argon, these kind of things. And instead of uh, let's say breaking down the molecules as we do with the chemical propulsion system and getting the speed out of the energy of the molecules. Here, what we are doing is that we give energy to the to the um, propellant and we make it ionized. So basically, we remove, we get an ion and an electron out of a neutral. And the idea is that through a combination of electric field or electromagnetic fields, so a combination of electric and magnetic fields, Accelerate ions, so these ions can be ejected at speeds that can be some tens of kilometers per second out of the, mm. of the thruster. So, and gave you a gentle thrust, because we are talking about, uh, let's say, anywhere between micronewtons for very, very small thrusters, up to one newton max for very big thruster. But you can do it with a very low consumption, let's say, which is a parameter which is called specific impulse. You can do it with a quantity of propellant which is dramatically less than a chemical thruster. So what's the advantage of this then? You know, first of all is mass. Because if you don't have to bring a huge amount of propellant with you to do a certain amount of orbit, you can, of course, gain mass in your satellite. And, and mass is very, very critical. Uh, for example, for uh, scientific missions, if you need to go very to Saturn or to Mercury, very fast, very well, far away, you cannot afford to bring super huge satellites because with 90% of the satellite, which you use for, for propellant, I mean, it makes no sense. On the other side, for small satellites and even more for big constellations, when you need to stack a lot of satellites in a launcher uh, to, to reduce the number of launches to deploy your constellation, mm. it's very, very useful to have electric propulsion because, of course, otherwise you will need to, uh, to dedicate a lot of mass and so a lot of launch capacity to the propellant and not to the payload, so mm-hmm. what you really want. So, telecommunication payload, for example, the channels for your internet connections or for broadcasting. So electric propulsion basically can enable these kind of missions. So missions that are very far, like Dawn missions or Colombo that has been recently launched by the European Space Agency, that are going very far away uh, in, the, in space. Or like, Constellation like OneWeb or SpaceX or uh, future constellations—they are all based on electric propulsion for for this reason. So when we when we talk about electric propulsion, it's it's a little bit different, difficult to because it's a it's a term in which inside you have everything. I mean, you you can propel, for example, CubeSats with electric propulsion. So we are talking about technologies that are very miniaturized. So we're talking about 100 grams mm. electrical system capable of doing one micronewton thrust up to huge uh, thrusters mm. capable of running at 25 kilowatt, for example, or 30 kilowatt and delivering one to two Newton thrust. So it's a, it's a huge a large number of uh, product portfolio in the range of electric propulsion. And the electric propulsion on the other side is we're with it's another say key aspect with respect to chemical, is that they are intrinsically very connected to the design of a satellite. Chemical propulsion basically, I mean you can, can think about having this module which is attached to the satellite and is kind of standalone. Electric propulsion needs to, to give power. So to give power to the electric propulsion, you need to have solar arrays. So these solar arrays, their sizing, their, uh, their, for example, uh, reduction of the performance over time, their interaction between the plumes or the ions getting out from the the thruster with the solar arrays, they're changing or reshaping the way in which to design the satellite. So it's not just that electric propulsion, you plug an electric propulsion Mm. system, that's it. It's much more than this. Right.
1: Yeah, many, many for- components inside the CubeSats are plug and play, easy things off the shelf to buy. But I think the propulsion, uh, and as Dr. Rick Fleeter said uh, in a previous episode, the attitude control and the propulsion are the two most complex systems uh, on the thing. And here, what you're saying is that it's even more <laughs> complicated because we have to redesign. So, I mean, it, it sounds great. Uh, we've got a a way of, of increasing the payload mass instead of just using it up as, as more chemical pr- propellant for the satellites. Most of your rocket is chemical propellant anyway, right? So mm-hmm. any saving that we can have up there is good. Uh, in t- in s- inside the small sat or cube sat, it takes up less space because it's, it's just that gas there that we're taking the ions um, and pushing mm-hmm. them out. Uh, and I imagine the continuous thrust there's no air resistance, like you were saying, up there in space, obviously. Uh, and it can just keep pushing and pushing and increasing that, that acceleration. Um, but because it's not going bang one time like a, like a chemical thrust explosion, I imagine the stress on the components is lower as well? Yes.
0: Yeah. Okay. Stress on the components is lower uh, in terms of, let's say, force, which is felt by the components themselves. Mm-hmm. However, for example, there uh, draw, are drawbacks of using electro propulsion, especially when we are talking about, for example, uh, geostationary satellites. you need, for example, to go to, to geo starting from a, a low orbit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the time you need to spiral up up to the geostationary orbit, it's much longer than a chemical thruster. With a chemical mm. thruster, you may need one week to get there. Uh, with electric propulsion system, you, can, you may take, I don't know, something like six months to get there. And within these six months, you need to cross the Van Allen belts. Mm. And, and since you are spiraling up, you're not just moving there one shot. You pass, go up and down, in and out the, the, the Van Allen belts. And this is creating a kind of stress which is due mm-hmm. to the radiation dose so it's not a stress due to the, due to the acceleration but mm-hmm. it's an environment effect that has to be taken into account when we are talking about uh, electric propulsion especially for this kind of application of course there is another drawback is uh using electric propulsion takes six months to to get to geo geo is where the satellite is starting having uh, revenue generating phase Hmm. so uh, which is the trade-off between reducing the mass of the satellite so having more payload capacity on station against the fact that you will start having revenues six months four months eight months after the launch so this is a trade-off that big uh, telecommunication um, operators they have done but what we see in the last few years that, uh, I mean, almost all of them, they are now adopting electric propulsion solutions. So, the trade-off seems to be resolved or move towards the direction of uh, use and adoption of electric propulsion rather than uh, being keep using chemical to get, uh, to get there.
1: Okay. So... The, the, yeah, that was my question is like, why wouldn't everyone move to this propulsion system then as opposed to chemical? And the answer is uh, certain applications. So a larger satellite, uh, one that needs to be geostationary, probably not the best fit because the, the, the CubeSat is only made to last a year or three or four or whatever. And if you're taking out six months of that as a chunk, that's a lot of time of, of the usefulness of the satellite. Yeah. Maybe taken away where it can't be doing its job and and potentially bringing in revenue so uh maybe not say the historically
0: best- for geosatellites they started with a chemical propulsion to go to orbit mm-hmm. and then using electric propulsion to do on station so you know when you mm-hmm. are on station from time to time you have to keep your pointing toward here mm-hmm. because otherwise your antenna will, will be pointed. Uh, and so, these kind of maneuvers—sorry—was the first application, commercial application of electric propulsion systems. So, besides the the scientific missions, this was the first application of so keeping the satellite on their in-orbit position. And this was very useful because you can do this by basically not consuming much of propellant, mm-hmm. because the idea is there: when you are there, you want to be there without consuming. I mean, consuming as less as possible because uh, anyway, this kind of uh, propellant is in a sense wasted to keep generating revenues.
1: Right, right. And so, yeah, you want a soft pushing for these little adjustments to keep the antenna pointed the right way or the camera pointed the right way or whatever. You don't want these big, heavy thrust pushes.
0: And you don't want to spend too much for Mm -hmm. these small adjustments. But then in the last, uh, in the last few years, uh, things move changed because now mm-hmm. we don't only do on station, so we don't only do this small adjustment, but really uh, in the last few years we have witnessed the increase of these called all-electric platforms. They are basically using only electric propulsion on board. So even doing the, the orbit raising, mm-hmm. so moving from the injection of the injection point up to the geostationary orbit they are using electric propulsion so i mean uh, all the measure primes have sent or will send uh our um, non-electric satellites uh in for, for geostationary applications. so uh, even if accounting for the delay in revenue generating it seems that most of the time at least something like 50 percent of the times because this is more or less the share between electric and chemical for the orbit raising hmm. uh, it is a, there is an advantage of using electric propulsion rather than keep using chemical
1: okay you seem to want to say something else <laughs> so
0: go ahead yeah no i'm say, I'm saying that uh, it's um, it's not that electric propulsion is the is, is the only electric propulsion system we have I mean mm-hmm. there will be and there is still and will be room for, for chemical as well, of course.
1: Okay. Well, what new developments in the electrical propulsion field are you seeing coming up in the, in the near future?
0: Well, there are plenty of them, to, to, be, to be honest. Uh, in the last few years, I think, spurred by the, by the constellations, there have been a, a, a huge increase in number of startups and Mm. companies that are dealing with electric propulsion of course uh most of them are uh mainly focusing on the cubesat market on very small uh, satellites for different reasons because of course there the volumes are bigger if we compare with huge governmental missions for example or scientific missions but it's also because developing small satellites, small propulsion system has, an, entails a cost, let's say a capital expenditure, which is significantly lower than developing large uh, propulsion systems. Because you know, when you develop a electric propulsion system, you need to test it. And usually the way which we tested it is putting them in vacuum. So you need to have a vacuum chamber that is, let's say, is creating the vacuum condition as close as possible to, to space so of course the chamber size goes with the thruster size so i mean testing a big thruster would takes a, a huge chamber which costs a lot mm. of course uh, small companies could not necessarily uh, let's say afford to to have that so these new companies are are Exploring different kind of different of technologies, so the, the, let's say the, the consolidated market is now focusing on two major technologies: the whole effect thrusters and the ion thrusters. Whole effect thrusters are historically being developed by by the Russians first, and then mm-hmm. moved to the to the Western to Western countries. And uh, ion thrusters the way the way around, I mean, has been Mainly developed in the U.S. and uh, and used by by U.S. companies uh, for mainly. And these new companies, these the startups, we are seeing now, they are developing different kind of technologies. I mean, miniaturized, fuel electric propulsion systems, or completely different type of uh, of technologies. So there are two ways in which the development I see is moving is on one side for, is the spurring of new technologies, mainly with very small uh, satellites that cannot necessarily fit the biggest satellite because Mm -hmm. they are, they are limited in terms of, for example, performance or not necessarily fitting all the requirements we have with bigger platforms in terms of lifetime, in terms of trust, trust level. On the other side, I see that the, the consolidated technologies are um, changing as well, not necessarily in terms of technology itself, but in a sense that they are moving towards the industrialization phase. So so far, for example, we have not really had the need of ramping up production, hmm. space space was not necessarily a mass production environment. It's not like the automotive industry or the consumer market. Right. So, I mean, nobody was really pushed to have this idea of production in mind. So it was really like quality first uh, all the time. And I'm not saying that food production is not quality. Food production is quality, even more quality but it's a different way of doing it. Mm-hmm. It's a different way of implementing it and checking for quality. And what I see is that the innovation is for these consolidated technologies like Hall effect thruster and ion thruster is really much focused on production. So new way of producing, new way of design to cost or design to manufacture, design to test in order to gain even one hour, two hour of test to be able to ramp up production. So here, you know, when we're talking about the big constellation like SpaceX or, or OneWeb or Amazon, so we're talking about tens of units per day. So it's a, they are from, from zero to ready to flight. So this means that behind, you need to have very strong way of produce, control the quality, have processes to know what to do in case you have an anomaly, you have so react very fast. So what I see is that there is a a lot of uh, cross-pollination between addition market, like the automotive, like the aviation market. They are coming in to create innovation and uh, improvements in the Mm -hmm. the, the electric propulsion field. Hmm. On the other side, I I would be very, um, I'm going to say, I'm very happy to see this growth of new technologies as well, because even though they are probably not directly uh, plug and play to to bigger satellites, uh, they are certainly posing some very good uh, seeds in the electric propulsion mm-hmm. community. And I think that few of them, probably not of them, will survive, or not all of them will survive. Uh, with the promise of huge volumes and big revenues. But I see that there is big opportunity, in fact, to, to implement this, these technologies uh, because even the market is changing. So, I mean, we will do more and more with CubeSats. This is my personal perspective. We will do more and more with SmallSats as well. And so what we will ask, what we demand to the lateral propulsion will change as well. So uh, I see that at a certain point, we will need to have new technologies coming in. So that's pretty, I'm pretty excited to see how the lateral propulsion has evolved in the last few years because I, I'm quite recent, if you want, in electric propulsion field because I started in 2007, but when I started, so even if it's a few years ago, it was not at all the way it is now. Mm-hmm. Now it's, it's, it's really, really moving forward much faster with a lot of ideas, uh, a lot of companies that are investing. So huge amount of private capital, which is put in mm-hmm. in, in this kind of uh, concepts. So this is surely a good moment to be in the electric propulsion nowadays.
1: Well, great. I appreciate you talking about that process development, the, the manufacturing shift from job shop, we're gonna make one custom big satellite to a more continuous manufacturing operation like automotive, for example. That's exactly the kind of stuff that we do at Cold Star. Um, that kind of process engineering, continuous improvement, the Six Sigma black belt stuff uh, to make sure that the quality is, is great. That is exactly the kind of thing um, that I've been hoping to hear more about in the space field um, and bring to yeah. it. And so for you to say, look, here in the electrical propulsion field of space, we are, we are adopting those ideas. Uh, that's very exciting to me. Well, Ricardo, thank you for uh, being on here today. Uh, it was wonderful to have you as a guest.
0: Well, thank you. Thanks for, for this opportunity and thanks to all the uh, people on the other side of the of the TV.
1: Right, yes. My guest today has been Dr. Ricardo Albertoni. He is in charge of the electrical propulsion systems program at Airbus.